Hello, everybody. Welcome to Yankee Stadium. Thank you for coming. Fans, please rise and remove your caps to participate in an emotional and stirring pregame ceremony. This morning, I'd like to sing two songs. God bless America. But also, we shall overcome. And to uh, entertain us a little bit. Um, it was something to see. An unusual spectacle indeed. Welcome back to Never Forget Radio. This is a two-part episode about sports after 9-11 that runs from September 2001 all the way to November 2013. The conventional post-9-11 sports narrative is often focused on two stories. The New York Mets, who won their first home game after 9-11, as I've covered in the last episode on a dramatic home run by Mike Piazza, and the New York Yankees, who made the playoffs, won several unlikely and dramatic games, and nearly won the World Series. By contrast, the game that we're going to look at today, the Yankees' first home game after 9-11, is much less remembered, rarely given pride of place in sports-based narrative, sports as uplift, recovery, taking people's minds off the tragedy, allowing them to heal and get on with their lives. Because for those simple narratives to work, the team has to win the game. We look back at an important date from the 2001 season, September 25th to be exact, as the New York Yankees host the Devil Rays in their first home game at Yankee Stadium since the attacks of September 11th. The Rays are proud to participate in an emotional and stirring pregame ceremony and then proceed to shut out Roger Clemens for nothing. So to spoil that easy narrative, the Tampa Bay Rays won the game on September 25th, but I'm here to argue that the pregame ceremony choices were extremely influential on the post-9-11 era and helped to solidify the way that 9-11 would be remembered, not just in sports, but in all forums. Oh, it's so hard to remember. Welcome to Never Forget Radio. Where, from the comfort of your own home or your device, and from the safety of the future, we can revisit the memory of 9-11, of George W. Bush, and of all the years associated with both since. It's been over a decade of disappointment, failure, and disaster. I'm no expert, but I'll be your host as we explore our recent past and try to reclaim it. Let's roll. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Yankee Stadium and Game 6. That was Bob Shepard, the public address announcer at Yankee Stadium from 1951 to 2007, and the master of ceremonies of the Yankees' post-9-11 presentation that we're going to look at today. Shepard is a great example of the atmosphere that the New York Yankees are always trying to create. Formed in 1901, they enjoyed a 20th century of unrestrained capitalistic success. After their purchase of Babe Ruth from the Red Sox when Shepard was 10, from 1920 to 2000, the Yankees won 26 World Series and lost an additional 11, far more than any other team. They haven't changed their logo since 1909, their road uniform since 1918, their home pinstripe since 1936. For someone growing up with a historical interest, this was the perfect fandom. In September 2001, they'd won three straight championships in four of the last five. Like the American Empire, the New York Yankees were by acclamation and without any serious rivals, the most successful and formidable going concern in their field. 
I've spent a great deal of time on this podcast criticizing clowning performative masculinity that was obvious and widespread after 9-11. I started this sports series by looking at Vince McMahon and the stunted adolescent quality of so much of the post-9-11 era, as exemplified by our teenage president, George W. Bush. But today I'd like to examine older, tradition-bound patriotism and its insidious effect over the era, as embodied by calm authority patriarchal figures like George H.W. Bush and Ronan Tynan and Bob Shepard, who was nicknamed the Voice of God. I didn't realize how oppressive a presence he would be in my episode. Now please direct your attention to the microphone behind tone plate and welcome Branford Marsalis. Program for the pregame ceremony on September 25th, 2001 in Yankee Stadium included Taps, We Shall Overcome, Lean on Me, God Bless America, and the Star Spangled Banner. It's easy to imagine the ceremony at Yankee Stadium as a metaphorical illustration of the post-9-11 bubble and its piercing. An example of how the American response was narrowed from a time when anything was possible into a very closed box of obligatory memorialization which takes patriotic, religious, and even militarist forms. Just like during a war, this period after 9-11 was a time when new traditions were being set and actions had greater resonance. And every choice that wasn't taken contains the seeds of an alternate future that never happened. I'd like to particularly focus on We Shall Overcome and God Bless America, powerfully metaphorical songs which function as stand-ins for some of the ideological debates of the 20th century and the American experience. And to hyperbolically contrast them, here's Dr. King talking about singing one. We shall overcome. Deep in my heart, I do believe. We shall overcome. No, I join hands so often with students and others behind jail bars singing it. We shall overcome. Sometimes we've had tears in our eyes when we joined together to sing it, but we still decided to sing it. We shall overcome. And here's Richard Nixon playing the other on the piano. The great song that everybody sings since then. Yes, I remember. God bless America. Yes, I remember. And I thought possibly we'd try that. Oh, do that'd be great. God bless America. From the title, God Bless America, is obviously patriotic and religious, but. Even beyond that, it's a war song written by Irving Berlin in 1918 during World War I and revised and re-released in 1938. It became very popular after Kate Smith sang it in the World War II propaganda film, This is the Army. Hello, everybody. God bless America. Which featured Ronald Reagan and some blackface performers. While the storm clouds gather It was very notably sung on September 11, 2001, in the evening by members of Congress on the steps of the Capitol building, in an apparently spontaneous show of unity for the TV cameras. Congress has subsequently staged several Capitol steps sing-alongs to celebrate this
Now let's go back to Yankee Stadium only two weeks after the attacks. Um, it was something to see, an unusual spectacle indeed. Caps opened the pregame ceremony before this Yankee game on the 25th, their first in New York since 9-11, followed by We Shall Overcome, Lean On Me, and God Bless America. Please direct your attention again to the area behind home plate and welcome the Boys Choir of Harlem. While this was only one game in a slew of patriotic gestures in American stadiums, it's my belief that in this order, these four songs played within a few minutes of each other give us a perfect summary of the cultural shift from specific sorrow to vague comfort to overwhelming militarism and patriotism that occurred in the immediate month or so after 9-11. We Shall Overcome is a song about solidarity, unity, and the peaceful triumph of the people. Descended from old gospel songs, it's most associated with the civil rights movement and with Pete Seeger, a loose compendium of event-specific verses and an uplifting chorus that can be adapted to any political moment. And so listen to the verse that's foregrounded by singer Terrence Wright fronting the all-black boys choir of Harlem in this particular rendition. This rendition brings me back into the bubble, time of fear and sadness and shock, when not only was any institutional response possible, but another attack was possible. In fact, in the video, the camera keeps finding uniformed soldiers in the stands, holding little plastic flags and looking afraid. Of course, it sheds light on just how afraid everybody was. But the alleviation of fear that was envisioned was a vindictive response. We would no longer be afraid, we were told, when people were brought to justice and countries were invaded. This emotional connection to the social justice movements of the last century is bookended by raucous, militaristic, vengeful chants of USA, USA, which have remained a fixture of our sporting events since. What the world needs is peace today, and the crowd answers, USA, 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 war, war, war. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Bolton. And he comes out and he stands in front of the boys' choir, these young black men. He comes out wearing an NYPD hat and 
Just think about this for a minute. A famous white man in a police hat standing in front of a group of young black men who then sing backup for him on a song written by a black man. came into this with the intention of making fun of the singer, who's usually regarded as a punchline, but actually listening to it, I think his rendition is fine, and it's a moment that's sort of similar to the release of Emotions and Joy that Liza Minnelli was able to summon at the Mets game a few days before, maybe the least martial of the options presented at this game, and the people in the crowd seem to like it. But I don't want to forget that it's a video, because part of the reason that I seem to see a big shift happening during the song, that I've come up with all these theories and broader meanings about this game, is that I'm reacting to the way that the director of the live footage has chosen to frame the event as it was happening. During We Shall Overcome, we were shown silent tearing up people and stoic soldiers, and now during Lean On Me, it's little girls overjoyed to be on camera, people nodding their heads and swaying and the director of the broadcast has even found a woman who is crying during the first song smiling during the second sports is edited while it happens a narrative is being built right in front of your eyes especially in baseball which is very slow paced it allows the director time to find the tension in faces and the crowd the managers and players Usually it's a simple narrative about winning and losing and how you play the game, but when there's a national spotlight like after a disaster, suddenly these little building blocks of sports entertainment gain huge significance. And the way that events like this were live edited helped to frame Americans' understanding of this bubble time then and now as an idol of unity and emotion. In a way, like newscasters, anonymous sports broadcasters are the first historian. the stadium, I did watch this game and many others live on television, and I'm obviously still working through that experience. Even though I was able to find unbroken footage of this pregame ceremony, it was embedded in an MLB retrospective assembled in 2011, which, by the way, I'm using for non-profit historical purposes under the doctrine of fair use. And so, as an informal historian, as an editorializer, and as someone who also really was there, I've chosen to regard the moment that I'm about to play for you as a climactic and narratively significant moment. A real turning point in the post-9-11 era. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the Tampa Bay Double Rays, the New York Yankees, and New York's true heroes, members of the New York Fire Department, fire officers, 
join together at once on the field are the police, army, and some of America's most popular symbolic entertainers, all united in a religious nationalist martial sentiment. A new tradition is established. From the mountains to the prairies to the oceans white with foam, patterns of official memorialization are fixed, solidified, and calcified. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please rise and please direct your attention again to the microphone behind home plate and welcome Ronan Tynan, who will sing God Bless America. The full version of God Bless America, the same lyrics that were sung by Kate Smith in 1943, and which begins, While the storm cloud gathers far across the sea, let us swear allegiance to a land that's free. This line is used to link America's old, good wars in Europe and the Pacific with the new ones that hadn't even started yet. American troops didn't get to Afghanistan for another couple weeks after the storm clouds gathered here at home in ceremonies like these. In a solemn prayer, God bless America. All Major League Baseball teams featured God Bless America in the seventh inning stretch at every game for the remainder of the 2001 season. And they gradually stopped in the following seasons. But today, the Yankees are still playing God Bless America in the seventh inning at every game, even after being sued in 2009 and settling with a fan who wasn't allowed to leave the stands to use the bathroom during the song. After that, it was all patriotism. Only minutes after the very different emotions evoked by Lean On Me and We Shall Overcome, by the next performance, the Star Spangled Banner, there was a trained bald eagle perched an ominous inspecting Yankee Stadium. In the seventh inning, a uniformed cop sang. There's been a lot of change for the Yankees in baseball since 9-11, but when the 2014 season starts, the Yankees will still be playing God Bless America. Team President Randy Levine stated on the 10th anniversary, this is never going to change. God Bless America. Like the immediate fall after 9-11, it was a big mess. A lot of feelings were represented. There was no rigorously adhered to blueprint. But that's what we're going to hear in part two at length. The post-9-11 era, 2001 to present, this patriotic militarist attitude came to define mass memorial ceremonies about 9-11. 
totally smothering the possibility of the amplification of voices like the Boys' Choir of Harlem or peaceful sentiments like We Shall Overcome. It's a fantasy, but because these other songs were also featured in that first game, it's imaginable to think that it could have been Lean On Me or We Shall Overcome that could have been adopted instead as institutional shorthand for 9-11. While I am romantic about the hopeful promise of those songs and the possibility of an alternate peaceful aftermath of the post-9-11 bubble, if they'd become popular, they'd have been corporatized and martialized too, and I might have had to resignedly name this project We Shall Overcome Radio. The bubble mythology is enticing, but it's hard to believe that there was ever a chance for anything but profit and war to result from 9-11. I'd like to take a special moment here among all this remembering and honoring and pessimism to mention Pete Seeger again. I thought about staging a moment of silence, but I think I should just play one of his songs. Never Forget Radio is a production of Bookstyle Publications, currently based in West Philadelphia. Special thanks to Gatsby for editing this. Please send your sports feelings to Never Forget Radio on iTunes, Facebook, Gmail, Bandcamp, or Tumblr, or Never Forget Pod on Twitter. All of our episodes can be downloaded for free, but if you'd like to support, please feel free to donate any amount. Thank you, and never forget. Well, may the world go, the world go, the world go. Well, may the world go when I'm far away. Well, may the skiers turn, the lovers burn, the swimmers learn. Peace, may the generals learn when I'm far away. Well, may the world...